Socks on 35th is next. Doors open on the left. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, White Sox fans, and welcome to episode 33 of the Socks on 35th podcast. My name is Jordan Lazowski, and I'll be your host for this very special episode, as you can tell by the title of the podcast. Joining me are Michael Suero and Nick Gower. Gents, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. You know, I think we uh, think this is a fantastic episode, and I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone, but I'm ready to run through a brick wall after recording this, so I, I'm in a great mood right now, man. Yeah, me too. I had pretty high expectations for this episode, but even then, I'm still so happy with the way things are turning out, so I think people are really going to enjoy this one. So for that reason alone, I also am in a good mood. I was going to say, it's it's part of the editing magic. When you get to record this part after you've done the really fun part, it makes even something as simple as an intro and outro so much better. As we get into this episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us at Socks on 35th on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and stay tuned into our website all year at SocksOn35th.com. Let's not waste any more time, though. You're not here to listen to us talk. You're here to listen to Brian Anderson talk about the 15th anniversary of the 2008 blackout game, his time with the White Sox, how he thinks Chris Getz is going to do as a GM, and a whole lot more. Seriously, awesome, awesome episode. So without further ado, our interview with former White Sox outfielder Brian Anderson. Joining us now is former White Sox outfielder and current Northwestern assistant baseball coach, Brian Anderson. Brian, thanks for taking the time out for us, man. How are you? You got it, guys. No, happy to be here. It's always good. It's been a while since I've gotten to talk about the Sox, so this will be fun. I'd love to first talk about your journey to the big leagues and even before that, your journey through baseball. When did you first realize that you could and that you wanted to, I guess, make a career out of baseball? Well, it's funny you say that. I come from a pretty... Uh, unbelievable high school uh, when in regards to baseball, right? It was a public high school, and uh, we moved back to Arizona. I, I'm born there, but we moved back from California when I was seven. So uh, I went to high school at Canyon Del Oro High School with Ian Kinsler. He's my best friend since we were little. And, you know, we, we also had Shelly Duncan, Chris Duncan, and Scott Hairston on that team, on one team in high school. And so um, we – Ian and I, you know, I think Ian and I, about 15, 16, we thought we were like, man, we're pretty good at this. I still thought I was going to be point guard for the Lakers because I love Magic Johnson. I hated Michael Jordan, even though I pivoted a little bit because, you know, I'm close with the Reinsdorf family. So I think my my one-year-old's going to end up being a Bulls fan, so I got to be careful what I say. So, uh, but yeah, it, it, I think around, you know, high school, 17, 18, we're kind of like, man we're a lot better than everybody else. This might turn into something. So do you really know? Absolutely not. But uh, I think I would say that was the first time I thought, man, this could, this could turn into something. That's, that's awesome, man. Um, jumping forward a little bit. Um, you were obviously a first round pick for the White Sox. And I think a lot of people were pumped to see you finally join the big league club. Um, I was hoping you could take us through that experience a little bit, you know, coming up with, with the White Sox and finally, you know, making your debut with the big league club. You know, how how was that experience for you? I mean, it was great. I, I, I think it's so surreal. I remember getting the phone calls and I was in Charlotte and 
um, the trainer, the athletic trainer, Scott Johnson actually called me and said, I got good news. And I got bad news. He said, bad news is all your stuff's on, on, on a, on a bus to Toledo. And, uh, you know, he said the bad news was, is, or the good news was, is you're going to the big league. So I freaked out and called my sister, my mom, my dad, and it was great. And, and, uh, you know, so we, we, we celebrated as a family, but yeah, I mean, it, it was an incredible experience. I think in hindsight, I look back and I, I know when the White Sox drafted me, I, I, I really kind of, now that I'm older, could tell they kind of saw the projectability. I was just really a great athlete. Um, I realized when I got to the big leagues and I had known through the minor leagues as well, that I had some holes in my swing and I was vulnerable um, offensively, but you know, I just had gotten away with so much uh, as a hitter my whole life because I was, you know, so much, uh, such a better athlete than most guys that, you know, I got away with, you know, some mistakes and was didn't really have to address uh, some of the things of being a great hitter as far as mecha- being mechanically sound and stuff. So uh, really tough place to learn how to hit is the big leagues. You know, usually guys learn how to hit high school, college, or through the minor leagues. I, I was forced to go on a, you know, I, I got called up in 05 and that was great, but uh, my first full season in 06, when I really, really struggled, I, I realized I'm like, man, this I'm getting exposed at the big league level and having to learn how to hit at that level is really, really tough. Is there an, I, I guess from your perspective, is there an added pressure of knowing like, Hey, you, you know, trying to learn all of that, trying to be a better hitter, but also knowing like in the back of your head, I was also a first round draft pick too. Is there added pressure on yourself ever because of that? Or is that just something that comes with the territory of, Hey, I'm in a major league organization regardless. Yeah. I mean, I think the media will, will remind you that some disgruntled fans might. Um, I remember when I first got drafted uh, or on my first full season of the minor leagues, I was in Winston Salem, North Carolina, and I was struggling the first month. And I think that was probably the only time in the minor leagues. I really thought like, Oh man, they gave me all this money and hitting like 150 and I'm striking out, you know, a couple times a game, but um, I, I had great support staff, my family, uh, you know, the coaching staff, the front office uh, reminded me, they're like, Hey man, this, this is not a co- This isn't college anymore. This is going to be five to 600 at bats. So a 10, a 10 at bat or a 20 at bat uh, skid or a slump is nothing. So stay the course. And I did. And I remember, I swear to you, I tell our some of the players now I coach, I say, guys, some of the best times you can figure out how to get out of a slump is just grabbing a bat in your house, man. I keep, like I remember being in Winston-Salem in my underwear in the middle of the the uh, the living room with a bat, just like I am not going to put this bat down until I figure this thing out. And I, I truly did. I sat there and just looked in the mirrors, kind of looking at my timing, kind of like my, my stance, see if I was balanced where I wanted my hand placement and kind of the swing path, but it's stuff like that that makes baseball great. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just, I mean, it's just wild, the things that we hear from former players like you about, the things that get them off of slumps or the things that kind of turn their seasons around. It's sometimes really simple when you think about it. Not not that you aren't working hard, of course, but it's not always rocket science the way some people think it might be. But just transitioning a bit from your personal career from just the teams you were on, getting into the 2008 White Sox. I just want to know, do you think there was something about that team in particular that made it special? Because even looking back at it, there was definitely something different about that team compared to even other division winning teams where it just felt a little different, a little more energetic. Sure. I mean, if you guys really want to have a completely separate podcast, go through that lineup or, or 
the roster at any given point in that 08 lineup, especially when we traded for Griffey. And it was something ridiculous. People talk about Murderer's Row, the Yankees. I remember looking at that lineup and however you sliced and diced it, if you had like Griffey in center, uh, you know, Jim Tomey, DH and Canerco at first, uh, Jermaine and Wright, AJ catching, something like that. If you combined all the home runs, it was over like 2,000 home runs in the lineup. And I said, you guys can have my 22 if you guys are just shy of 2,000. Don't worry about it. So, um, but yeah, that that team was incredible. You talk about star-studded power. I mean, I felt like such a – I was like, do I, do I even belong on the team playing here? It's like you looking around, you got Griffey there, you got Jermaine, you got Canerco, uh, you got, um, you know, Jim Tomey, all those guys. You're like, man, this is incredible. And so – I think looking back on it and um, looking back or being able to, to maybe talk to my daughter one day, and if she ever asked me about that, I'm like, honey, you know, the, the amount of, the amount of uh, knowledge and uh, the wealth of knowledge, just the camaraderie we, we had, I just don't see that much, that as much anymore. in these modern day teams. That's a good point too. It's like, for as much talent as there is there, you know, you have to gel as a team. Are there guys you felt like, I mean, you were still newish to the big leagues, not brand new, but certainly not a vet by any means. Do you were, were there guys that you really leaned on for some of that advice for some of those real good teaching moments, uh, especially on that team? Sure. I, I mean, Canerco and I are extremely close. We still are. But I mean, I was just texting with AJ the other day. I think you guys posted the, uh, the video of that diving catch. And he's like, said something, some, some, you know, you know. Some were like smart ass remark or something. He said like that was the worst worst time dive I've ever seen. So I mean, look at it. We're here. We are 15 years later, and and him and I are still you know giving each other a hard time. And that's what that brotherhood's all about. Is just being able to to reminisce and and reach out at any time. I know his son is is uh, coming up through the ranks in high school and will be a, a pro uh, or excuse me a, a really good college player here pretty soon. He should be signing, but. Man, I, I just look back at some of those memories I had as a young player and being able to sit there and bounce ideas off guys with, you know, three, four hundred, five hundred career home runs and Hall of Famers. And you just don't I mean, I, you can't you can't even put into words what that experience is like, because you don't really get a chance to appreciate it until you're out of the game like I am now. And we're doing this and actually talking about it. Yeah. So just I'm curious, just leading up to that last week of the 2008 season, not necessarily just the last game, but even, you know, the game prior, I think against the Tigers where it was a must win. I'm just curious, what were things like in the clubhouse? Because we see situations like that even now, like the Cubs just got eliminated after a somewhat, I mean, they had a very different outcome, but they were trying to do this, a similar thing. And it just really tough. So I'm just curious, what were things like for you guys internally? Yeah, and I'm sure the Cubs are catching some heat right now, but man, I got to remind the fans and you know, people out there that are, that are watching that may have be critiquing the Cubs baseball so hard. Um, you have to have so many things that fall into place and yes, you have to execute. Yes. You have to have timing and you have to be a great team, but man, other teams have to lose. You have to execute. You have to do so many incredible things to win and winning's tough, right? I mean, losing, losing is really contagious. Winning's contagious, but my gosh, it's, it, winning is so hard at the big league level. So um, I, that 2018 was just so special. And I, to your point, I, I can't remember a time where we ever were like on the team playing like, Oh man, we're only up two games. I don't, I swear to you, I don't ever remember even looking at at the standings. I mean, yeah, we would be reminded by the media. We might be in first or, Hey, you know, the, the AL central race is is tightening up or you guys are down a few games, but I I could tell you this firsthand. None of us 
ever would sit there and say, man, we're only up three games. We really got to turn it on. It's just not how we operated. We, we just, we were always around each other. We picked each other up every single day. We busted each other's chops when, when we were out of line and that happened to me quite a bit. So, um, but yeah, that's what made our team special. It's just, I think the, the willingness to, to uh, hurt somebody's feelings. And um, I'm trying to teach that to our kids now and try to try to share that with them. I think this generation now and some of the big leaguers, I think they're, they're so scared to hurt each other's feelings or, or make enemies. And that's just not how it has to be. I think you have to call people out when they're doing the wrong thing. And ultimately that'll build a stronger team with, and build some more camaraderie. All right, Brian. So I, I have to ask this question, you know, during that playing game, you know, bottom of the ninth, two outs, balls hit to you, and you make one of the best catches I've seen in a long time. That was absolute highly real catch. One of the best memories of uh, of me of my time watching the White Sox. I just have to know what was going through your head when you saw that ball hit to you at that point in the game. Well, first off, you, you don't think much because it's so loud. All you guys are screaming there. We can't think at all because you know. You know, when your mom yells at you when you're younger to turn the music down because you can't think that that's basically what I can relate that to. It's pretty comparable if you ask. But um, I, I was watching that video you guys posted and, you know, Ozzy, you know, you think he's so crazy and all this stuff. The guy's one of the best baseball minds I've ever been around. You can see him in the video waving Jermaine in and I'm laughing. I'm like, yeah, he's waving Jermaine. And I said he never had a problem with me on defense. It was always me on offense. I was like, those sliders in the dirt look just so juicy. So, um I could tell you, I, one thing that really I'm so grateful for throughout my big league career was I love like uh, defense was my escape. Like that's where I kind of sought refuge and it came so naturally to me. I knew I could always go out there and help the team, even if I was struggling at the dish. So uh, I don't, I, I can't, I, I can't imagine in that dream scenario, that fantasy scenario of Jim hitting a homer, uh, John Danks dealing, Bobby Jinks coming in, throwing 102 cutters. It's just, it's outrageous. So uh, I, I remember that ball being hit and I just thought no chance this is dropping. And, and so I just got a good beat on it and, and made the play. And it's funny. Cause you look at some of these pictures that I've, I've signed for fans in the past and half of the pictures are me. Uh, it shows me making the catch with my eyes on the ball. The other half, my eyes are closed. So I always tell people, I'm like, Hey man, sometimes you can make that catch with your eyes closed. Who knows? And you got to understand too, like we're all in our mid twenties and it's like, that was for us, especially like the growing up moments of being White Sox fans. Like that's one of the better close to playoff memories I have from just being a fan for quite a while, but not as long as others. But certainly like when you're thinking about grabbing kids as they're growing up and getting them to love the game, like something as small in the timeline of a season as the catch to win that game is like, you got a lot of kids who just saw that, loved it, lived it in that moment. I still remember from my perspective, living it in that moment as a kid. Yeah. And you know, I, I actually, it's, it's ironic you brought that up because I haven't had time to reflect much on that. I, I mean, well, I haven't really thought much about it just cause I've been so busy being a dad and, and a husband and, and, you know, now a coach, but um, you don't realize at the time, the impact that it's going to have on a young kid or his family and, I mean, my gosh, when we won the World Series, you hear stories about how my, you know, somebody's grandpa was waiting their entire life. And, you know, if if for whatever reason he may have passed before they won the World Series, you see some one of the grandkids of the dad opening up a bottle of champagne or something in their father's honor or grandfather's honor. So it's really neat 
I was just talking with Michael Reinsdorf a couple months ago and uh, just reminiscing. And he was just, you know, kind of reminding me of the positive impact I had on his kids. And in my mind, I was going like, well, they were cool, man. They're, they're your kids are on the field. And uh, I used to have nicknames for them, like mini dwarf and Minius dwarf. Cause they're just little, little Reinsdorfs and they had jerseys made. And I think he told me something like, Hey, we have like three jerseys hanging in our house. It's like Frank Thomas, Michael Jordan, and you, I said, yeah, that sounds, yeah, I totally belong up there with those three guys, but <laughs> those two guys, but I mean, in that, it made me feel really good just to think, man, it, it truly matters how you treat people along the way. And if you can make a positive impact on someone's family by just doing your job, like making a diving catch, I know it was great for myself and my family, but I, I, I seen tons of those videos on YouTube and from every which angle you can imagine in the stands, you know, whether it be in the nosebleed section and, you know, section 308, wherever the heck it is way up there. But man, you could feel the stadium shaking in those videos and you could just see the excitement it brought to the city and the individual White Sox fans. So that was really special. It's a passionate group. Sox fans are for, for everything that goes, we have to go through at times. Sox fans are a passionate group. <laughs> You're telling me, I know I've, been, I've struck out three times in a game at home. I can hear, I, You'd be surprised what I can hear in center field. <laughs> so I actually, you bring that up. I, I've never asked a player this, but I'm very curious about it. When you hear that kind of stuff, it's like, obviously it's part of, you, you expect, you kind of expect it at times just because you've played the game enough that like you kind of get used to it almost. But how do you go through the mental process of like, like, like you said, they're a passionate bunch. They're going to love you when you're doing well, and they're going to hate you at times when, when you're struggling. How do you mentally get through? Because I think we've all had the shortcoming of like, oh, we just you get frustrated at a player. How do you view it from your perspective, I guess? You know, it's it's tough. You guys, I, I mean, of course, every player is different. But, you know, I take my situation. I You know, they traded Aaron Rowan, and I he was such a huge, you know, fan favorite and I didn't ask for him to be traded here I am you know starting center fielder the following year and I got off to a terrible start so yeah everything's just under a magnifying glass and when you're the world series champion and then I'm the young rookie on the team that's playing every day for a former you know taking the place of a former player who's extremely popular and but you know what I was extremely fortunate you know, I had guys like Jermaine Dye and, and Scott Pasednik who had very, were very supportive but let me tell you I don't care how much support you have when Ozzy's making his second uh you know, pitching change in the middle of the inning and you just struck out the last at bat, you know, the center field, the, the, the crowds in left center, they'll let you have it for whatever reason. I don't know why I, you can always hear what the, the fans are saying in left center field more than anywhere. Yeah, again, it's like, I always wonder how the players view. And I mean, and I can, you can hear it clearly. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. Um, and you mentioned Rowan too. Rowan was a huge fan favorite, especially going through Oh five as well. I know you two were, I assume you two were close. A lot of us remember the videos and love like the Pitsednik walk-off in 05, like the two of you going crazy. Um, I I guess, what was your relationship like with him? And also, you know, kind of relating it back to 08 as well. I know you didn't get to play a ton in 05, but you were around the team. What was that experience like for you and kind of how did it help you or, or did it at all throughout the rest of your major league career? Well, yeah, I mean, you had like really strong presences in the uh, clubhouse, like Jeff Blum, right? Like he was a, a, a kind of that super utility. And I remember I had had like a disagreement or I just had a disagreement of, of a or difference of opinion with Ozzy. And I was kind of out in center field and whining and complaining during batting practice against Minnesota. And Jeff Blum's like, listen, like 
it doesn't matter what you think. Like this guy's been in the big leagues 15 years, been a manager for however many years, like he's right. You're wrong. Shut up. And it made me realize real quick, like, Hey, like, first off, what am I doing complaining? I'm in the big leagues, but why am I complaining to a, a veteran? You know, we're about to head to the playoffs. So it puts things in perspective. And I think that's what makes us close. Again, I, I don't know what the White Sox clubhouse is. I know there's a great group of guys in there. I'm sure that they're trying to figure things out right now. So more power to them. But I just feel from afar, um, I, I just feel like there's a lack of camaraderie there and, and just the unwillingness to hurt someone's feelings. And, you know, there's a big difference between calling someone out and embarrassing them or pulling someone aside or just, you know, having a purpose. Right. And, and I think now as a coach, we're always trying to figure out like the why. Like, why are you doing it? Are you just doing it to do it? Are you calling him out to be a jerk or a bad teammate? Or are you trying to make someone better? So um, I, I think any time that the guys gave me a hard time or had to check each other, it was to make us better. And uh, we would still be on the plane, you know, laughing, smiling, um, no matter what happened, uh, no matter what the conflict was in the clubhouse, we always got along. I, I think Aaron Rowan used to like slug me in the shoulder if I changed the music on the plane. So, I mean, that's like, the old big brother, little brother stuff, you know, just the good old physical salt on the shoulder is great. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, so, Brian, another player that you had some overlap with in the White House organization is Chris Getz. And I'm also just fascinated to know since you since he's a big name now, given that he's the GM of the team. Is there anything you can share about him in terms of your any stories that you have from your time together or just any thoughts on how you think he'll do as the GM? Yeah, I mean. I think, uh, of course, he's. I think he's getting kind of a raw shake right now. I know that I, I, I can imagine if, like, let's say Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn were to, you know, willingly willingly leave or just step aside uh, or retire and Chris stepped in and the White Sox from the playoffs, I mean, everyone would be crowning Getsy and putting him on a pedestal. I think uh, I think that with any situation with, with uh, upper management administratively, there's always a gradual weaning out process and everything does come to an end as great as great of a run as we had way back. Um, I think Getz going to do, do a great job. He just needs to be given a chance. Um, I, I can tell you this much. They were talking about Chris Getz being a GM, like his second year in the big leagues while we were in the clubhouse. I'm like, why? Cause you went to Michigan. Like who cares? But you know, I'm like, what's Michigan like Yale or something. I don't know about what's it. Northwestern. Like, you know, so, so uh, yeah, I mean, the guy, the guy paid his dues. You guys, everyone I think is quick to judge. They're kind of thinking like, oh man, you know, here's Chris Getz, the baseball player. Now he's the GM. People soon forget, man, the guy went straight over to the Royals. He was kind of dating Moore's right hand while they won the world series doing the uh, upper level uh, admin and, and some executive stuff. And, you know, he's running a player development stuff. The player development stuff's tough. I mean, you, you saw with my career, right? I was like a, sure fire can't miss prospect and i know i made it to the big leagues but i'll be the first to admit that i i i think i uh failed as far as like my as far as potential wise i mean i had so much more to offer uh the fans and the game of baseball than i produced so um again i think that if, if the white Sox fans truly do want the white Sox to be successful that they should at least give them an opportunity um, if they aren't unhappy with the way he, he did some things in the minor leagues and great, have a difference of opinion, but I mean, shoot the guy, the guy and I have known each other for so long. In fact, I think I told you earlier, I remember, uh, him calling me from my condo in, in Scottsdale when he was rehabbing and he, he, that's, I think he had just started dating his wife at the time. So, um, we go way back and I wish him nothing but the best and I think he'll be fine. I mean, he's a younger guy, he's 39, 40 years old. And so 
um, the guy, the guy knows what he's doing. He knows the game of baseball. So given the opportunity, I think he's going to make some really strong moves. I'm not sure what those moves are, but I can imagine that someone uh, in a new executive position is going to want to have his own fingerprints on some things. So I'm actually curious to see where he goes from here. You'd mentioned a couple of things. Number one, that Sox fans are a lot of, there are a lot of people who are hesitant and it unfortunately feels like it comes with the territory of being promoted from within with the organization being where it's at. The other thing you mentioned is people being or people in the game saying that he was already talked about being a potential GM someday in the future when he was still in the league. Were there things you saw in him, just how he approached the game or conversations you had with him or that, you know, people had with him that kind of stirred up those conversations so early on. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, the thing with Michigan too, I mean, it's a great university. I know he was a great student. He's a really smart guy, but uh, one thing about Getz, he has a really um, unique blend of like humor. He's a really funny guy, but he's also very, very methodical detail oriented. He thinks things through. Um, but he's sharp. Uh, you guys would be surprised how sharp he is. I don't know if you guys ever got to see that uh, while he's a player, but some of my most you know, favorite memories are like me, him, Canerco, and just going to dinner. And um, we were always laughing and stuff. So he, he's going to bring that. Uh, he's going to bring that knowledge uh, to the game, but I think he's going to keep things a lot lighter. I think he's going to try to, uh, in my opinion, I, my guess is he would try to pr- probably bring in some players or some personnel to help lighten things up. And, guys that have had some success in the past and see if he can't kind of just change the makeup and change the culture around there. That's awesome. It's good to hear from the perspective of somebody else, especially someone who's been around him and seen him day to day, kind of how he operates. Yeah. If he, if he stinks, he stinks. Let him know who cares like it. But, but I mean, I get it. Like White Sox fans are passionate, but you know, Hey, it, it's funny. Cause anytime you, uh, anytime you kind of, relate the two or you compare the two words like passion usually passion with white Sox fans mean they're angry they're pissed so um which is, it's a good thing i mean it's it's blue collar uh mentality that's the way i was raised i mean some of these families you know they, they're using or they're you know paying with hard-earned money you know making sacrifices probably to spend a couple hundred bucks to take their family to a game and they want to see a good product on the field but it is funny how like you always say like, oh they're passionate i'm like well I've seen them cheer. I'm like, usually when they're passionate, they're pissed. <laughs> right. No, it's, passionate is usually the nice word we all use when it's like, oh, we're all kind of, like, yeah. we're passionate. We're pissed, but actually, but <laughs> yeah, you could make, we should, you guys should make t-shirts about that. It says white socks, passion equals pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Print them. I, I think that, Hey, we're always looking for good ideas. Uh, just a couple questions uh, before we let you go, Brian, I, they're kind of related here. The first being, you know, as you look back at your career, you know, you've mentioned your coach now as well. As you look back at your career, are there things you've learned? Are there things that you've seen that you'd like to instill in players that you're coaching or you'd like to see more coaches instill in the players that they're coaching? And then on top of that too, the same general question for, are there things you'd like to see more among the players in the league now from the other side of it? Sure. Yeah. So from a coaching perspective, um, you know, I just shared this with some of the players uh, recently, uh, we're just really trying to instill that accountability component and that culture back with our players. Uh, some of these kids, I have to remind myself, they're teenagers, right? So um, if usually when teenagers are insecure, or teenagers, you know, they, they like to revert back to what makes them comfortable. And baseball is a, a sport that makes you really uncomfortable sometimes because it exposes your weaknesses. So um, again, I, I, we're trying to teach accountability to these young men and um, 
the message too, that I'm trying my hardest, uh, you know, as far as like having a big league career is, and telling them is, you know, showing them some humility and telling them how baseball's humbled me beyond belief. And, and I think my biggest regret as a player is I never went all in. Right. And I, I think that I, I wish the fans knew that and it's not an excuse. It, it's, I truly mean it. It's, that's my biggest regret is I never just said, you know what, I want to put my head down for a year. I'm going all in. I'm going to hit early. I'm going to go in there. I, I work out and I worked out hard. I mean, I stayed in shape, but I never fully committed to it. And now that I'm retired and you know not able to play physically anymore, I look back and I go, man, what a shame. You know, 6'2", 215, can throw, run, can hit a ball, you know, out of the stadium. It's like, man, what 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 could I have been if I would have just hit the gas, right, and went all in? And I, I tell our players, I say, I will not let you make the same mistake. I'm okay, I'm okay with your career ending after college, but you, you, you're not, you're, you're not going to make the mistake I made. You're going to go all in and see, kind of live with the results. So that's the kind of the message I'm trying to send. So that was partially a selfish, selfish question from me because I'm a high school baseball coach and I think I'm just going to okay. play that part back to the guys like, Hey, like even it. the guys who made it to Cite that level. Sources. Don't plagiarize. Exactly. I'm like, hey, here's what Brian Anderson has to say. It's like, hey, for even someone who made it that far, feeling like he still left something out there, don't feel like when it's all said and done, you left something on the table. And I think that's a cool, cool message. There's no doubt. I mean, you look at you, you look at a guy. I look back and I'm extremely proud of him. I mean, there's it's not it's not envious. Envious isn't the word. I'm 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 disappointed in myself. I watch a guy like Ian Kinsler, right? And people don't realize Ian's a really great athlete. He's got quick feet. You know, he's six feet tall. He's strong where he needs to be. But Ian always played with like this chip on his shoulder. Like he really played as if like every day someone was going to come take his job. And um, he dealt with a lot of adversity, kind of bounced around to a couple of colleges. And, and, um, and, but, you know, he's one of those guys where he was just not going to fail. And he put baseball in his family first. And I think, you know, I kind of lived a little bit of a selfish life when I was single and um, was distracted by things that really didn't matter when I was in the in, in the big leagues. And ultimately that catches up with you. So um, I, I if you ever want to model, you know, yourself or your, uh, your career or strive to be something, look at Ian Kinsler. I mean, went to ASU, Dustin Pedroia went there and, you know, kind of took his job or, or took more at bats away from it. Ian transferred to Missouri, had a great year, got drafted late in the teens you know, not a ton of money out of the draft, but just dominated in the minor leagues and crushed with Texas and did really, really well. In my opinion, probably borderline Hall of Famer. So, I mean, that guy did it the right way. And it's cool on the flip side now to have guys who have done it that way, who have really played balls to the wall the entire time, now staying in the game in other ways, coaching and leading those next wave of kids. So I feel like you'll learn a lot from guys who have done it and who are passionate about the way that they've done it or the ways that they feel like they could have done more. Yeah, and I and you could tell this to your kids too. I, I think there's another saying, right? I thought a lot about, and I, I think of guys like Paul Konerko, right? The, just the ultimate pro, Jermaine Dye, the ultimate pro, Jim Tomey, Pasednik, just ultimate pros, right? AJ even, right? Despite all the antics, I mean, the guy was an amazing catcher, controlled the pace of the game, was an unbelievable hitter, and I, I think I was a really good baseball player. I was just a terrible pro. I. I didn't know how to act. And those guys just have a certain demeanor, a certain calmness, um, and just a certain way they carry themselves. And it, and they're just, they're professionals. Right. And I just really struggled with that as an immature 23 year old getting called up. So um, I hope I could just help, you know, a, a young player on, you know, 
our current roster now in college or, or, or anyone, even uh, if I ever can even help some of the White Sox guys, some of the younger guys, just pull them aside and be like, hey, man, whatever you're thinking about doing that's not going to help you with, you with baseball right now, don't because it's not going anywhere. And you have plenty of time to do that stuff. Like, but get after, especially with the money they're paying these guys, man. Go hit 250 with 10 homers and 50 RBIs. They'll give you 10 million a year. So, no, I think that's awesome. And like, like I said, I think there are guys who need to hear that message that will really appreciate it. Um, Brian, before we let you go, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. I feel like fans know where to find you, but if there's any social media handles you got that you want to plug, the floor is yours. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, I would just plug it now to help build some notoriety for our baseball program. But yeah, I, my uh, Twitter handles at WWBAD32. So it's just what would Brian Anderson do 32? I don't know why I came up with that. Just it's so I think I could remember it myself. I think my wife's probably in the other room rolling her eyes right now. Like you're such a turd, but you know, what are you going to do? Well, seriously though, it is, it was genuinely awesome to get to talk to you. I know everyone's going to appreciate hearing your perspective on 08 to get to everything in between. So really do appreciate your time today, Brian. No, happy to do it guys. Thanks for having me. Well, folks, that's going to do it for episode 33 of the Socks on 35th podcast. I once again want to thank Brian Anderson for taking the time out to talk with us. I think it was incredible getting to hear things from his perspective, and I know we all hope you enjoyed that interview. As we close out, make sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us at Socks on 35th on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and stay tuned into our website all year at SoxOn35th.com. We're down to our final two episodes of weekly coverage on our Socks on 35th podcast. Later this week, we will be doing our season recap, with our final episode covering a special project we've all been working on coming out next week, so make sure to stay tuned for those episodes. For Nick Gower and Michael Suero, this is Jordan Lazowski signing off for now. We'll be back in just a few days. We'll talk to you then. Thank you, and go Sox in 2024. <laughs> go Sox. Go Sox.